0: And so this morning, as you, uh, as we gather, as we begin our time together, if you'd open up your bulletin, you're going to find, hopefully, you're going to find two pieces of paper. One is going to be the sermon notes, which I hope that you'll use because this is um, really important stuff for us. And you're also going to find a card. And that card comes because every so often in our lives we have to decide where where do we stand. You can always, you can always tell people that um, you know I'm right there with you. You can count on me anytime and you just let me know what you need, but there comes a time in your life where you really have to say, this is who I am, this is, this is what you can count on, this is what we're all about, and this is where we're going. So we're gonna be talking about that in a little bit. So I wanted to start with a um, kind of a literature question. When you were in high school, maybe you're in high school, um, how many of you have ever read the book The Tale of Two Cities by, by Dickens? Have you ever read that? Okay. It's a classic, it's actually one of the books that most people recommend that you read because uh, of, of the contrast and, the, and certainly the way uh, Dickens writes. It's a story, it's a, it's a contrast between two cities, if, which is why the title. Uh, one city is Paris, which is in decline. Uh, it's actually undergoing the revolution, the bloody revolution, um, and it contrasts it with life in Paris, I mean life in London, which is peaceful and, and people are seeing much more harmonious. And so the point of the author is, you know, this choice of basically when you look at these two cities, uh, which path, as, as we are in a culture, what path do you see us on? What, what path are you on, right? And, and it's, it, its intention is to, to drive you to think about where you are in your own life journey. But the classic opening despite all of the turmoil that you hear on the news about our government about what's going to happen in the future what's going to happen with with west virginia what's going to happen with the you know the the homeless problem what are we doing about drugs and alcohol in our society what's going to happen in the future you know there's a lot of turmoil and and so dickens open opening line um, it really resonates with where we are. And, and what I wanted us to think about is in our time together is not just about where are we in our government, but where are we in our church. This is that moment in time where we go to say, okay, which path do you see us on as, as a church? Your participation in and in involvement in our activities, in our giving, in our energy, in our enthusiasm, where do you see us being? What choices do we make? And, and what choice can we make for the future? So Dickens writes the following in the very first line as as he talks about the opening line of this book. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, and it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, and it was the epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light, it was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, and we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. It's kind of a long, but the, the contrast is, is when you think about our own time, our own journey together, what we do on a day-to-day basis, it was the best of times, but it had the potential to be the worst of times. We gather on a Sunday, it was the age of wisdom for those who would receive it, or for those that looked only on Sunday morning, it was an age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. But we live in a scientific era, don't we? We live in the Internet. It was the age and the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light for those who basked in the light, or it was the age of darkness. Now, as we think about not only Dickens' opening line, we think about our own faith journey. We think about the path that we have chosen whether we decide whether we're going to, to receive this only on a Sunday morning. This is something that we schedule on a Sunday. We go through the routines. We go back to our old lives. That's a common church. That's what most people do, right? I mean, they kind of go through the routine. As a matter of fact, this week, I received a piece of paper from the district office, and it talked about the state of West Virginia, the church in West Virginia. And it told it of that there are over 1,000 churches in West Virginia, United Methodist Churches in West Virginia, which sounds like a lot, until you realize that maybe 20 or 30 years ago, there were 1,500 churches. And so we're closing churches faster than we're opening them. And of those thousand, 800 or over 80% of our churches have less than 50 members in, uh, that attend. We are a different kind of church. I like to think of us as an uncommon church. But what makes us uncommon? What makes us different? What is it that calls us out of of that routine, out of that slide into incredulity? Is that I believe that we're trying to learn how to take it from Sunday into every day. How to take what we learn here on a Sunday, the, the community, the enthusiasm, the energy that the praise band dedicates themselves to give to you, that we take that enthusiasm, that hope, that inspiration, and we live it out wherever you go on Monday through Saturday. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's about who we are and about where we're going. Or to put it another way, what, what we confess on Sunday, we practice on Monday. You know, whenever we gather, if you remember the Lord's Prayer, right? our Father who art in heaven, that we live that out through the rest of the week and in the things that we do and the places that we go. And so we're in a time of turmoil. We're in a time of great anxiety, both in the church, both socially and culturally, Things are changing at such a fast pace, people have a difficult time just embracing the speed of change. And, and so often what we want to do in order to deal with the pace of change, we just hunker down. We, we enter into what's called a siege mentality, right? The church against the world. We will hunker down as good Christians in this building and, and we will receive God's blessing and then we will avoid the culture in which we're called to live. but but that's not who we are that's not what we're about we're we're about learning how to use the blessings of jesus his call to action to go out into our workplace go out into the places that you play to the ball fields to the social gatherings and to live that out as jesus would now if you think that this is new if you think that this has only happened in our generation you would be wrong this is a biblical principle that Paul was talking about to the Corinthians. Paul understood that there were two types that he had created a church in Corinth that was just caught on fire that was so so enthusiastic but over time something began to happen to that church and it began to slide to be much more like the culture that was around it. It, it wasn't distinct, it wasn't the light on the hill. It was more like another social club. It's something that we might recognize of a thousand churches as we close them Uh, we, we understand that there are different types of churches that are struggling to keep their doors open and what we need to be doing is saying not only are we enjoying all of the blessings that we have but we as a church are planning for the future what Greg has been talking about what the trustees are doing they are building not for our comfort today they're talking about those that will come after us the storage units that we're investing in, the, the infrastructure that you may not be aware of, of fire um, alarms and all of the other stuff that you never see is for what's coming next. It's always building, always looking forward. But there are those churches that enter into a siege mentality, and, and they're what I call the reluctant church. Paul called them a reluctant church. They're those people that kind of hunker down and say, we are about protecting what used to be going back you know what that's like going back to the good old days some people would call them the back to egypt committee the people that gather and say didn't we have it good when we were enslaved in egypt now the apostle paul recognized that there was a connection about where your heart is and what your giving trends are and so he admonished the reluctant church about their giving habits. Jesus said it very plainly to his disciples. He said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will, not, will be also. It's gonna follow quickly wherever your greatest treasure is. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about the, the characteristics, if you will, of this reluctant church. Paul says the following. He said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. You've probably heard that passage before. It's probably been used several times, but it reminds us of some of the characteristics that will define a church that is in decline a church and a a Christian that is in decline. For for example, if you are a kind of Christian that says, I've really had an experience with with Jesus Christ and and I want to be a part of his kingdom and be a part of the body of Christ, but you give just minimally, it says something about why that may be the case. And it's a a characteristic that helps define the state of your discipleship. There's a couple of things Paul is bringing to, to our minds in this passage. He said, the first thing is, there is a scarcity mindset. Paul says, don't give reluctantly. There are those people that if, they, if, if I give to the church, then I lose, right? Then that, that I have less for myself. They fail to see that God is the owner of it all. One of the things that I've said before that often really irritates people in, in finance committee is, if you're giving reluctantly, don't give. Please, we do not need your money. This isn't my building. This isn't your building. This isn't even the trustee's building. This belongs to God. This is his. Everything that we have, we're just giving back to him. This is our God jar. Everything that we can put in that jar, he has already put into our hands. If you're afraid to give, if you're afraid that you're going to lose, that you don't have enough, if I were to give to you, then I'm not going to have enough for the future. Keep it. We want cheerful people that are excited about the future. And what Paul says is, do not give reluctantly. Do not give out of fear or because you're afraid of what tomorrow will be. Second thing he does is he says, don't give out of guilt. Don't give under pressure. Don't give because somebody comes knocking on your door and says, hey, what's wrong with you? Give because you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Give because you have had that intimate relationship with Jesus that said, I know God will meet my every need. Whatever that is, whatever I'm going through is preparing me for the thing that I've been praying for. I've been praying for good things. This is the path that I need to get there. Don't give if it's out of guilt. Don't give because somebody's twisting your arm. The card that you have in there is for your benefit For you and your spouse, or you alone, or for you and a friend to sit down and talk about where are we? Which of those two cities represents us? Which of these two churches? It allows you to think through and make a personal decision, a covenant, if you will. And finally, he says, don't make it mindless. Have you ever had mindless giving? People just show up on Sunday and say, well, whatever I have in my wallet, that's what I'll throw in. I don't know what they're going to do with it. It doesn't really matter. I just need to put in something so I don't look bad. Paul says in the very beginning of this, he said, you must decide where? In your heart. You must decide in your soul who you are and what's of value to you. He said, mindless giving is just saying, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't know where it will go. If you give 10%, if you invest in the church, you're going to be interested And where it's going, what it's doing. You're going to be, tonight we're going to have trunk or treat. If you're truly invested in the church, in the body of Christ, in the witness of Mount Pleasant, you're going to be around just cheering them on because you're deeply invested in the church. That's what a reluctant church does. It just gives because I have to, because they require me to, and I just give and hope that they don't ask any more of me. And those are the churches that are declining. Those are the churches that are, they do it when they give when it's convenient, they give the minimum that they can, and they give sporadically. We're not down that path. This is us. Mount Pleasant is positioned at the top of this hill so that anybody that is going to Parkersburg from Elizabeth or in that direction. Sees this spire as they come over that hill. As everybody gets off of the interstate and they look up, here we are, a standing presence in the community. And so Paul says there's a different church, there's a different example that you can go down this path as well. And so Paul says the following in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, Now I want you to know. Dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with an abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Do you hear the contrast between the two churches the two realities about how people respond the first thing is is that they believe themselves to be on an uncommon mission at the very end of it paul says now why would they do this here you have two churches here you have a church that is undergoing incredible testing now most of the time don't you think that whenever you're going through troubles and tribulations and trials that maybe you kind of get into a hunker-down and siege mentality. Uh, Paul is saying that it's just the opposite. As they're kind of in going through this testing, that it's overflowing into abundant joy. They're experiencing abundant joy in their ability to give despite their trials and tribulations. Maybe it's possible that sometimes our prosperity, our peace, is what hinders us the most. We lose our vision, we we lose our passion. We no longer feel that, that God needs us or that we need him, to be quite honest. We have insurance, right? We have 401Ks, we have good bank accounts. Do we really need God's support? When we go through trials and tribulations, we recognize God is the one that we depend on, where we're going. We need to learn to recapture that sense of total faith in what God is doing to move from Sunday to every day. There's a couple of things that I'd like to draw our attention to in the time that we have remaining from this passage. The first thing is I want us to realize that generosity is not a choice that you say, well today I think I'll be generous. Generosity will overflow from something else. What is that something else? It overflows from something else. Generosity comes from a deep personal gratitude what has God done for you personally intimately until we have that deep personal connection it's always a routine well they require me to give I should give when you have that deep personal one-on-one encounter with Christ it just flows as a matter of fact despite their hardship it overflows in rich generosity And Paul says, they're doing far more than I could have ever hoped that they would do. And later on, he goes on to say, not only are they doing that, we didn't even ask them. They're begging us to be a part of this story that God is telling. They get to be a part of it. Their generosity is overflowing. Whenever we gather here and people come and they visit us and they check us out and they're saying, is this a different kind of church? These people live differently. There, there are many people that have been part of a reluctant church. After the early service, I was saying, have you ever been a part of a church that, that was kind of in a siege mentality? Right? I mean, we've all been there where somebody said, that's my pew and I'm protecting my turf and my space. I had several people after the first service said, let me tell you my story. We've all had those experiences. But have we ever had that experience of laughter and of joy of the abundance of what God is doing just overflow from people? It just seems to permeate all that they say and do. Because I believe that sometimes that we will give the little things in our lives in order to receive the big things. We give the little trinkets away in order to be a part of what God is doing. The first thing that happens that you gotta understand is generosity. Your giving is not just a rote habit that you've got to develop, it overflows from something deeper inside. The second thing that Paul talks about is generosity inspires. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth which is going through a lot of turmoil, a lot of, of divisiveness. There's, there's a lot of battles and turf wars that are happening and Paul is saying, First of all, this is what a reluctant church is doing. They're in a siege mentality. They're hunkered down. They're trying to keep their turf. It's us against the world. And Paul said, but let me tell you about this other church. It's, it's called the Macedonian church that are going through trials and tribulations just like you are, but they see it totally different. They see a bigger vision. They see a bigger passion. And, and I want you to be inspired by their giving, by their generosity, that we're able to do far more Than anybody else could ever dream or imagine from the people that we have. It's about learning to do even more. As a matter of fact, I believe that sometimes we need to to say that even in a dark world where there's so much bad news that is always swirling around, but we will light a candle in that world and say we do life differently. We love one another, we watch over one another, and we care for one another as we grow as true disciples. We're visionary. We believe that our giving can raise people up. The the Macedonians said, we want, please, allow us to be a part of what you're doing. Allow us to be a part of this future. Allow us to be a part of what the Jerusalem church is doing. We have the key to transform the world. Remember that what we're talking about is not just for your comfort in the here and now, but also in the there and then. I love a quote one time by John Piper. John Piper is a, a pastor in California, and he said, you know, death is merely like a, is, he said, death is just like a taxi cab. It will take you only where you want to go. And now his point is, is that the decisions and the choices that you make in this life are already determining where you will go in the next life right? The, the choices, the, the habits, because so often we will say one thing and do something else. We have to recognize that the choices that we make today will echo in eternity. And so you have a little card. It's a choice. You have to make a choice. You get to make a choice. Even if you decide not to turn it in, that is a choice. And next Sunday is Communion Sunday, and we're going to have baskets up, and you can just put that in there and say, God, this is where I stand. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I'm about. You can go down one path, and we can say, we can be an uncommon church for people that no longer believe that those kind of churches exist. We can, of course, go down the other path, and we can be a reluctant church, and we can say, yes, but how will this benefit me? And eventually, we will fade from history, and the doors will close. In that opening phrase, as um, Dickens is relaying all of the things that are happening, it was the best of times, but it could also be the worst of times. And so the choice that we have before us is the decision about what will we do for the future? Are you excited about the potential of what we can do together, the future vision of the church? Or you kind of in a hunker down, wait and see, maybe they won't ask me kind of mentality? See, I believe that for us, our church, our calling is to live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. They will see a different life in you, a different possibility, a different future. And so when we come, we challenge ourselves to step up, to be that rising church on the hill, And to say, this is who we are. We do church differently. We live differently. We believe differently. We're joyful and laughter permeates all that we say and do because God has been so good to us. If you're still struggling with where you are in that relationship, I hope that we get a chance to talk. I hope that we can be clear about who we are and the possibilities that lie ahead. Join us in this great investment of your time and your talents and become all that God imagined us to be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed by your spirit and by those people that have given of their time and talents. Father, awaken us to what lies ahead, to the challenges as well as the opportunities. Father, we give you thanks and praise that we are able to work with you in this great calling to change the world. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.